Pray with me. Lord, we love you. Our world desperately needs to see and receive your salvation. May we at Christ our hope be your instruments to minister to this hurting world. So teach us this morning from your word and by your Holy Spirit. We ask this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. And some of you know I was uh, ordained 10 years ago by the Bishop of Iran. And the cross that you see me wearing was made for my ordination by a silversmith in Tehran. Uh, you should know that approximately 95% of the Anglicans in Iran are converts from Islam. Most of them worship in secret because they are attacked and harassed by the authorities. Raids and imprisonments of Christians in Iran have increased dramatically in the past year. One woman's experience has moved me deeply. Her name is Mary. She's a 21-year-old convert and a committed activist. Two years ago, she spent six months in prison for her membership in a Tehran house church. In December of last year, she was kicked out of the university she was attending without any explanation. In January, you may recall, there were huge protests in central Tehran following the government's admission of guilt in shooting down a Ukrainian passenger plane. Mary was arrested near one of those protests on January 12th. She was housed in the notorious Karchak Women's Prison and reportedly severely tortured and beaten. Early in April, she was one of 70,000 prisoners throughout Iran released because of the COVID-19 pandemic, which is ravaging the country. Bruises were still visible on her body from the beatings. At her hearing on April 14th, the judge questioned her about her religious views, even though the charges are unrelated to her faith. Mary was charged with participating in an anti-government protest and found guilty without citing any evidence, evidence against her, saying her presence in the area where the rally was taking place was evidence enough. She's received a suspended sentence of 10 lashes and three months plus one day in prison. This is just one of many stories I've heard from around the world. Your brothers and sisters in Christ pay a high price in many countries just for following Jesus. Amazingly, despite government efforts, the church in Iran is one of the fastest, maybe the fastest growing churches in the world. These last two weeks, we have examined the mission of the church. Trinity Sunday, we examined the Great Commission to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all the things that Christ taught. Last week, we saw Jesus training the first 12 disciples to go and minister in towns and villages of Israel. And we noticed what an odd collection they were, not trained religious leaders, but fishermen, a despised tax collector, a revolutionary and a traitor. Hopefully we are all now encouraged 
that we are all called to advance the kingdom of God. Each one of us has some part to play. Not everyone will accept, however, our message. Jesus addressed that with the disciples. If the people won't receive you, then shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next village. That's good instructions for us. You see, we're not responsible for anyone's conversion. We're only required to tell what we know about the work of Jesus, that Jesus Christ has done in our lives. That's our witness. How people respond, we leave that in the hands of God. However, there's an ominous turn in today's gospel. Did you notice the first words? Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Uh-oh. When a sheep gets into a fight with a wolf, guess who always wins? Today we need to address something very important. The world doesn't love Christians. Maybe you've already noticed that. Even here in the U.S., where unlike Iran, we are guaranteed religious freedom, the tide is turning, and we cannot expect that we will always be tolerated. So how should we respond? Let's look first at our Old Testament reading. Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet, and in the passage we read this morning, at least one commentator has said, this is Jeremiah's Gethsemane experience. Jeremiah was called to be a prophet as a young man, perhaps when he was still a teenager. Listen to God's call on his life. Before I formed you in the room, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. Wow. God knows us and calls us even before we are born. And then he continues, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah responded, oh, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth. For to you, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. You know, it is a frightening assignment, but God gives us two assurances. First, God gave Jeremiah the message to speak. We don't have to make up the message. It's given to us in the scriptures. And we know what God's done in our life as a result of the work of Jesus on the cross. Second, God said there was nothing to be afraid of because I am here to do with you to deliver you. So what could go wrong? Well, the problem then, and the problem today, is that not everyone wants to hear the message. At the end of Jeremiah 19, right before the passage that was read this morning, Jeremiah, it says, Jeremiah came from Topheth, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy, and he stood in the court of the Lord's house and said to all the people, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing up on this city and upon all its towns all the disaster that I have pronounced against it, because they have stiffened their neck, refusing to hear my words. Well, how would you expect the people to respond to that clear warning? 
Surely they would repent like the citizens of Nineveh when they heard the message of Jonah. At the start of Jeremiah 20, however, right before our reading, it says, Now Pesher the priest, the son of Immer, who was the chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. Then Pashur beat Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord. Now that's just not fair. Jeremiah complains bitterly. Oh Lord, you have deceived me. You are stronger than I and you have prevailed. I have become a laughing stock. Everyone mocks me. Anyone want to sign up to be a prophet? And I didn't think so. But you notice, Jeremiah still won't be silenced. His prayer continues in the reading. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire sh shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in. I cannot. This sounds like what happened on the day of Pentecost, which we celebrated three Sundays ago, when the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. They simply could not hold in the message. That's just like our Anglican brothers and sisters today in Iraq. They have to tell people what God has done in their lives. Are we allow, willing to allow the Holy Spirit to speak the truth through us? We can if we keep Jeremiah's words in mind. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior before my persecutors. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. That is a powerful testimony for how we respond to persecution. That's how Mary responded to persecution. She was not intimidated by the authorities. We obey God rather than living in fear of our persecutors. We trust that in his timing, God will judge and punish the oppressors. Okay, let's move now to today's gospel. You will recall that last week, Jesus went through the country proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He had compassion on the crowds because they harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So... We would expect Jesus to say that he is sending the disciples out as sheep among sheep. But no, the world we live in is hostile. There are wolves out there. It is a terrifying place at times to go for ministry. For 18 years, I have worked and served churches around the world where it is most dangerous to be a Christian. In one Islamic country where Joe and I have visited many times and we keep in communication with the church leaders there, that country has experienced a significant outbreak of COVID-19 cases and the hospitals are being overwhelmed. Now nursing in that country is one of the professions Christians have had some success in breaking into. But here's the thing, the Muslim nurses do not want to go into the covid uh, the, uh, the wards where there are COVID-19 cases. They demand that the Christian nurses go in there. And often those nurses do not have adequate protective equipment. 
Well, on the Thursday before Easter, one hospital received a shipment of personal protective equipment, but the administration didn't distribute it immediately. Instead, they announced that Christians could have Sunday, Easter Sunday off, which is the first time they've ever given Christians the day off to celebrate Easter. Guess when they handed out the personal protective equipment? That's right. This is diabolical. But that's the behavior of wolves. Fortunately, a Christian ministry made a special delivery of medical protection equipment to the Christian nurses. And these Christians recognize that this assignment is their opportunity to display the love of Christ. In fact, throughout church history, some of the greatest awakenings and growth of the church has been in times of pandemics. In fact, in Rome, when all the wealthy, rich people, there was a, a uh, in, I think the second century, a huge pandemic, all the people abandoned Rome except the Christians who stayed and took care of the sick. So we need to have that perspective. Continuing on in our uh, reading today, in verse 16, Jesus adds another couple of metaphors. He says, Behold, I am sending you out a sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. That's a rather interesting combination. Snakes and doves. Two completely different images. And yet, in the combination, there is strength. Wisdom in the serpent can save him, save the serpent from unnecessary exposure to danger. But with the gentle, harmless spirit of a dove, maybe we would call this the blend of truth and grace. Joe and I have witnessed this in the persecuted church. They speak the truth, but they don't take foolish risks. When we travel in their countries, we have learned to listen to the instructions of our hosts in order not to make their circumstances any more difficult than they already are. In fact, the very first Sunday that I uh, celebrated communion after my ordination, there was a sharpshooter in the bell tower of the church because there had been a threat. So they take precautions. They aren't, uh, they aren't careless. But at the same time, they're bold in proclaiming the gospel message. Jesus continues his teaching. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So we're warned to beware. You will be accused of breaking the law. You will be told it's forbidden to do what you're doing for the kingdom of God. We're seeing this in dozens of countries around the world. Just this year in China, during the first few months of 2020, Chinese authorities have shut down at least 48 churches and removed more than 250 crosses from other churches. What made this most recent crackdown unusual is that the churches were part of the state-affiliated free self-patriotic movement. These are venues nominally approved by the government, but even they are not immune to the Communist Party war on faith. Why attack the churches in China? Because 
when they get too big, they are considered a threat to the ruling party. Even though communist uh, Chinese Christians pray for their country and their leaders, but in one sense, the governing authorities may have a point. After all, Jesus was announcing the kingdom of God. There's another kingdom besides the Communist Party of China. Jesus and his king, kingdom is perceived as a legitimate threat. So what should we do? Well, we can't really challenge the government unless you are arrested and you stand before the authority. Jesus says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. Interesting. Jesus doesn't say to hire a good defense attorney. No, he says, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Uh, I've traveled the world and visited a number of countries with my friend, Brother Andrew, and he's not afraid to confront those who are in authority. In fact, once in Lebanon, he walked up to the palace of the president without an appointment and said to the doorkeeper he had a message from God for the president. Amazingly, he was actually admitted and given an audience. I don't think it made a difference, but then again, it's not our responsibility how people respond when we deliver the message God gives us. It's just one example of the opportunities God wants to give us, but only if we're willing to be ministers despite being hated and persecuted. Jesus then says, brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. I must say I have met many people for whom this is a reality. Converts from Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, and other religions have told me their stories of how Christ divides them from their families. We may go more into this next week. But let me just say that while faith in Jesus often divides human families, God replaces our lost family with a new family. And here in Christ, our hope is our family. Verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. Jesus summarizes his teaching. If we follow him, if we obey his commandments, if we pursue his commission, we should expect opposition. So, how should we respond? I'd like to propose several applications from Jesus. First, our Lord says, have no fear. He says it three times in our reading this morning. Verse 26, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. In verse 28, do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul and body. Yeah. And verse 31, fear not, therefore, you are more valued than many sparrows. Fear is a natural response. 
So why should we not be afraid when we are hated and persecuted? Because we know our God, and we know he will not let the persecutors get away with evil. There will be a day of reckoning when all will be revealed and judgment will be proclaimed. Also, remember that you are of great value. Jesus says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Back in January when I visited you, um, I preached on the words of God to the Father to Jesus when he, at his baptism when the Father said, You are my beloved Son. That Jesus calls us beloved friends. Hold on to that fact. God the Father and God the Son love you and me, and the Holy Spirit within us reminds us of that precious truth. Finally, though this isn't in our text, but elsewhere, we are warned to beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. We will sometime discover wolves disguised in our midst. How do we deal with this? How can we identify them? Earlier this week, while we were hiking, my wife suggested the answer. You shall know them by their fruit, not by their fur. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. A wolf can't produce those qualities naturally. They are produced by the Holy Spirit. And eventually, sheep and wolves reveal their true nature. However, let me remind you that it is the business of God to transform wolves. Wolves can be born again. <laughs> this time a sheep. All of us spend the rest of our lives being transformed by the Spirit. And in the process, we display more as we grow in our faith, the fruit of the Spirit and reveal the beauty of Christ. That is why Jesus tells us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. We pray that they may hear and respond to the news that there is a king, new king in town and that the kingdom of heaven has landed on planet earth. We pray to the Lord of the harvest for more workers so that more wolves will hear the good news and repent and surrender to King Jesus. I will close now as our Lord closes our gospel reading. Beloved of Christ our hope, this is the challenge from our King. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before me, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. This morning, we will declare our faith by reciting the Nicene Creed. We confess our sins and receive absolution because of the work of Christ. And then we will come to the table to receive his body and blood shed for us. This is real food that feeds our souls. By participating in this sacrament, we are declaring before each other and the world that Jesus is our King and that he is King above all kings. Let's pray.
Lord, we know the world in which we live doesn't love you. And it hates us because it hates you. Show us how we may respond to this hostility with the love of Christ.